Hello everyone, and welcome to today's Skype for Business Roundtable. My name is Daniel Kumner, and I'm a Senior Business Program Manager for IT Showcase, and I will be your host for today's session. Today, we're here with some of our Skype for Business experts. Let's take a minute for them to introduce themselves. Dwight, let's start with you. Right. Thank you, Daniel. Hello, my name is Dwight Jones, and I am a Senior Service Manager owning the problem management space, uh, supporting meeting and collaboration services. Hi, my name is KC Han. I'm service engineer for managing uh, enterprise voicing, and I manage all the SBCs, gateways, and SIP chunking. My name is uh, Frank D'Elia. I'm a senior engineering program manager, and I've been working uh, in collaboration and communication for, for a number of years. Uh, and now I'm focusing on Microsoft Teams. I guess that leaves me. I'm Jonathan Lewis. I'm a senior service engineer here at Microsoft. Uh, I focus in the communication and collaboration space as well, and a heavy focus on Skype for Business and Teams, Microsoft Teams. Great. Well, thanks for being here. Mm -hmm. Before we get started, I'd like to tell our audience that at any time, you can ask a question of our experts by typing it into the Skype window. I'll then read that question aloud for our experts to answer. If we run out of time and we aren't able to get to all of your questions during the hour that we have, we'll stay behind in the studio, record some answers to those, and then we'll post them with the on-demand webinar as well. Stay tuned after the Q&A because our SMEs are going to share some key takeaways as well. With that, let's get started on to the first question. So it looks like we have a first question here for Casey. So how do you manage phone devices centrally? Yeah. Since we have over 13,000 phone devices in Microsoft, we do have to manage it like centrally. There's no way you can go into each, comp each telephone device and then manage it. So we do have a centralized uh, configuration server, we call a provisioning server. And in that, using that s server, we can change all the different settings individually. It depends on the function of that devices. Okay, cool. So do you use update server or provisioning server to push new firmware as well? Actually, we do have a two options. The one option is using update servers that we used to have. That's the old uh, way to do it. And there's another way to do it with the new phones. We can push it using uh, provisioning server. And you can change the setting by going individual uh, telephone device using configuration server to which server you want to use. So all devices still, you have to use uh, update server. New, new, new devices, you can use update server, or you, you can use provisioning service. OK, OK, great. Uh, looks like another question here for Jonathan this time. Um, how does Microsoft handle client version control? Yeah, that's a real challenging one, actually, right now. Uh, back in the day, and I've been around for probably 23 years, but uh, back in the link days and uh, OCS before that, uh, the client was actually standalone. So we could actually manage it much more closely with client version control, which is actually built into the product itself. But now it is actually part of the Office suite. So we manage it uh, along with the rest of the Office suite. So we have to snap to the same uh, rollout patterns that the, uh, they have channels that we use internally. Uh, some roll out faster than others uh, and for, for specific reasons. So uh, that's pretty much we manage it now through the uh, Office suite and we actually push them, uh, the new versions out either via SCCM, which is uh, System Center Configuration Manager, for those who are familiar with that. Uh, we also have uh, Click to Run running on probably 
96% of our desktops internally at Microsoft, so we actually use Click to Run to manage uh, the versions that people are running as well. Awesome. Uh, next question here. Can you explain the problem management process for Skype for Business? That's, uh, that's probably a Dwight question. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So as we look to, you know, following the vision of, of the co company, as we look to reinvent uh, business processes and uh, transform core services engineering, um, we're looking to support you know, agility in the business and, and faster releases to uh, production and to market. And really what that means is that um, instead of the, the old way, the, well, it's a mixture of the formal idle model, how we introduce change problem and incident management and things had a longer release cycle with now the DevOps approach of, um, you know, feature crews releasing uh, a, a lot of small releases into the production environment. So from the problem management process, we've had to scale and change our business processes so that we can basically hear from our users, hear from our, our partner teams to quickly respond to, um, to challenges or problems in our environment. And so we have redefined business processes so that we can rapidly respond and quickly remediate um, problems that are in our environment. And we do this through a couple of processes. We uh, use um, our root cause analysis for each problem, the five Y process, but we also use portions of failure mode and effect analysis where each problem gets a uh, risk prioritization priority number and we're able to weigh the problems that are most impacting in the environment so we know what we can go after the soonest. Mm -hmm. right. uh, so question here, can we get an all phones inventory with serial numbers and models of headsets used and that sort of thing? Is that a KC question? All phones <laughs> inventory? So an inventory <laughs> of uh, all of the, the, the phones that we have and the serial numbers and models of headsets across the... I don't think we have that kind of information, especially the serial number because it has to be entered through. I don't think there's a way to extract numbers yeah, so we we, we don't we don't really uh, do uh, inventory control in that way yeah. at Microsoft, I and mean, we know which phones are running in which desktops and things like that. But we don't get down to the serial number or thing like anything like that. Yeah, I think that's a to your point a, a manageability uh, challenge that we have. But when when we even think about how we use communications, a lot of people have headsets and other type of devices that are non-phone devices. So. You know, we largely don't look to manage those end devices. Yeah, and to and that that's level. the vast majority of our users actually mm -hmm. don't use have. De I, you know, I, I have a desk phone for testing purposes, but I don't use it. Absolutely. I use my headset and my laptop. It's my phone because I can take it with me wherever I want to go, and wherever I go, I've got my office phone. Absolutely. But as you said, we do get telemetry, I guess, on the, sure. the types of we know. or phones or yeah. whatever device. We, we know what's we know running how in many devices, and, but yeah. we don't get into detail like serial tracking serial numbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we, actually, and we actually have a list of approved devices that our team mm -hmm. has uh, approved through a rigorous testing process, and we actually provide that to our users. And uh, so we can actually pull, in, or pull the, uh, the number of devices and what devices people are using, and we can actually even pinpoint down to if people are using devices we know are problematic, then we can actually uh, uh, maybe reach out to those users and suggest that they get one of the, um, the devices on our approved list. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Jonathan. In, instead of focusing on 
serial numbers and things like that, our telemetry does tell us the quality of experience and the reliability of every device and peripheral that's, that's in our environment. Right. Right. So I'm going to read this question out, but uh, I'm not sure. This may fall into every now and then we'll get questions about the futures of products and mm -hmm. um, you know, when something's going to be released, but uh, let's, let's see how this goes. So is it correct to say CCE co-location with Skype for Business on-premise server with Office 365 slash Teams will be supported with Skype for Business 2019 and not with Skype for Business 2015? Oh, that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> that's not a very specific. That's, that's not a very specific. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very upstream in product. Some general questions coming through. <laughs> yeah. so this Maybe a more product-specific question, but you, you, go, you can you take a stab is, at it, um, Frank. If you well, want. I don't know that we've uh, fully written all the specs for uh, the 2019 yeah, version, absolutely. so I don't might be uh, premature. But I, and I don't know if I've been the 2015 version if that's supported. I'm, yeah, it's still yeah, it's still supported. Yeah, 2015 is what's out there sure. now. And if we look at um, how the product group, and I, I would say that this question is more for the the product teams. And and to Frank's point, and it even ha hasn't been specked out at this point. But if we look historically, you know, we still have scenarios where Link interoperates with Skype for Business, et cetera, et cetera. So. There has to be some type of backward. Could, I would uh, assume that there will be backward compatibility uh, scenarios yep. that will will be out there that the product group will consider. So we, we just don't have the the definites today. Yeah, I mean internally here at Microsoft, obviously our focus is move to the cloud. Uh, most the majority of our users are in the cloud, um, but we do know we have customers that are not necessarily going to move to the cloud right away. So we do know that uh, through the product group that they have to support, uh, as Dwight said, the scenarios that include things like on-prem. So uh, we're not going to leave any, any customers behind. We're going to make sure that we're uh, supporting as many scenarios as we possibly can. Okay, great. And, and just because I don't like acronyms, um, mm -hmm. CCE? Stands for? Cloud Connector. Ah, yeah. okay. So that's the connecting. On-prem to the? Uh, from like a cloud to? To the on-prem. Yeah, it's, it's the hybrid scenario, basically. Okay. Yeah. For, for smaller businesses, right? We don't. Big business can yeah. use that too. If but they don't, don't have like a on-prem uh, Skype for business, they mm -hmm. can use CCE, mm -hmm. and then they can still use their existing SPCs and right. gateways. Right. Okay. okay, great. Uh, next question here. Um, we might be on a roll here with Teams. Um, how can we get started with Teams to get experience with it before we introduce it to the whole organization? Sure. Um, Certainly in our, in our own experience, that's what we've done as well, is uh, we've looked at pilot audiences that will be sort of the, the first to uh, you know, be, begin using the, the product. And what we learn from that typically are you know, a little of the what's different uh, based compared to what we're used to doing and how we're used to working. Uh, but also we learn about what, what really uh, works well. What, what are the kinds of scenarios that are really served well with that new technology? And so with that kind of insight, it really helps us to target uh, our, our then uh, broader rollouts to, to make sure we can help teams maximize their value right away and use the best practices that the narrower audiences have helped define. Yeah, and, and typically at Microsoft, uh, and Teams was, was a, you know, a good example, we, uh, we let our users know that it's out there early, very early, this was before it was ever released, and um, they can use it. And so. You know, we have very curious users internally at Microsoft, and, and 
mostly tech-savvy people. So uh, we basically say it's out there, please start using it, and that's how we get a lot of our use cases come out of some of the, um, the early adopter uh, work that goes on internally at Microsoft and the feedback that we get out of that, that channel. Um, and then you know some of the stuff I did was I started challenging people internally, I, I, like our tier three team. Uh, I said, show me, show me some creative ways that you can use Teams to manage you know, major incidents. And so they're actually using it now to, to manage these major incidents that we have internally when they come up. And so a lot of it is you know, challenging people, coming up with use cases, and then letting people start using it early on. And then usually it's kind of word of mouth. It just sort of uh, virally takes off. I, I'm going to ask, a, I guess, a, a follow-up on that is, uh, was there anything uh, cool and interesting that came out of some of those tests? You said the incident management people were using it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff that came out of that. Um, they, they did some really interesting and creative stuff, because when you have a major incident, so it's all hands on deck, you know, and a lot of times in the past we would just jump on a conference call, and then people would be looking at stuff that people were making notes in OneNote and things like that. Now we can actually jump into a, a team and we might, we'll have a, a specific channel for each of our major incidents and those folks can just immediately start collaborating and pulling in the people they need to pull in as we need them. So uh, it's been a really huge step forward for us as far as managing our major incidents. And you get a full history of what's going on and what's transpired so along the way because of that persistent chat. Yeah. And you can refer back to it because of the persistent chat. Exactly. So we see that benefit right away because when we use Skype for Business for like doing MI course, if somebody joins, they have no idea what yep. other persons are. They can quickly catch up. Yep. But with uh, persistent chat and games built in, you can go in and look at the, what other people are saying. It saves a lot of time. Yeah. Yep. And an, another interesting use case is uh, we, we obviously acquired uh, LinkedIn uh, a little while ago. And it's been one of the more interesting integrations. Um, they've been, they're really kind of running standalone, like they're still a separate company but we use uh, Microsoft Teams to manage major incidents between our two organizations with LinkedIn. And it's, they've got a, ch ch a team called Bachmanity, if anybody's a Silicon Valley fan. And uh, we, you know, it's been really great for the collaboration between our two organizations that aren't necessarily 100% integrated yet. Is that LinkedIn only is Teams as their client, or are they still? No, yeah, they're okay, they're Teams still is, yeah, they went, they went straight to Teams. So they, they don't even have a Skype no, business client. Skype. Yeah. 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 Yeah, if you want to share another use case, um, I actually use it for the problem management process, and uh, there are just so many different elements of the, you know, O365 platform that integrate seamlessly. So I can keep all of my OneNotes um, in, in meeting notes in one place. Um, just being able to, um, you know, post my my program documents and all the the artifacts to the the, the SharePoint, the seamless SharePoint integration, and it just it just really helps a lot. And even for uh, actual investigations where I need to pull in a lot of different stakeholders, I was able to onboard them very quickly, uh, give them the reference documents, and so they could read and catch up uh, really quickly and um, just all be on the same page, um, just near, near real time so they could, the ramp time was significantly reduced versus a sing single meetings or one-on-one -on -one meetings that you would have to have to bring in each individual stakeholder. And, and, I, and I know your, your teams also uh, collaborate on documents, yeah. uh, such as the you mentioned earlier, the five wise mm -hmm. uh, slides. And that way, that's a great place where you can just put those documents centrally. <coughs> and we, we require input from multiple people, and they can co-author 
those documents. And you may want to touch on what the five whys slide is for anybody who's not that familiar with it. Oh yeah, so this is bringing more of the problem management uh, element into it. And um, for each problem that we receive, and, and we have a, a team of engineers, and, and once again, we're, we're integrating um, the agility of, of Agile. So we run it like a scrum team where the problems come in as um, product backlog items and uh, and we have uh, a dev team that, that takes on the problems, but then they do the traditional root cause analysis. And, and so we are defining what's the business impact of any problem that we get, but then we do a decomposition process which is called the five Y or YY process to where you start at the highest level, what is that impact to the user? And then you work and you just keep asking the question, you know, why could this user not log in for, for example, um, you know, because, you know, a server was unavailable and then you get down to the fifth Y, which generally is people, process or technology that was a, a, a bug found or change in the environment or you know something of that nature giving that root cause and then we add on to that what are the next next actions where um, we can drive improvements um, from that particular problem so that you know we can make sure that we avoid that going forward yeah it's, it's kind of like for those who have kids out there mm -hmm. it's kind of like that phase where they're like users couldn't log in why <laughs> well, because this server was down. Why? Well, you know, and it's kind of like yeah. and it's kind of like yeah. peeling the back end in and trying to get down to that root, really root cause. But now, hang on. Do you level. get to say at the end because I told you so? <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> but being able to collaborate through teams and have each, and we do this all in a one pager, and we publish this, and um, we have our monthly, and Jonathan runs the monthly service review where we can look at the problems that happen over the month or. Uh, and we have those pages that everyone has been able to contribute to or, or see on the, the, the team site. And um, we're able to, um, you know, quickly, very rapidly turn those problems around to where we know what is the root cause of that and be able to share that to the, uh, the, a broader audience and keep those one pagers in, in one place. So. Terrific. Mm -hmm. uh, many years ago, I was a support engineer, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, being woken in the middle of the night to hand over from somebody else and yeah. anything that makes that process a little easier. Yeah. Would be, and uh, traditionally, what happened was that you know, if there's a, a, a big incident, a problem in the environment, um, that uh, there's not enough time to get to that level of decomposition yeah. before the engineers assigned to the next thing. Here, you know, we're being a lot more agile. We're able to. Um, basically deliver that artifact for each problem and right now is is you know we're scaling it beyond Skype for business to support uh, SharePoint as well as exchange but being able to have that artifact and, and and that we can refer to and then we can we can categorize in terms of hey you know is this a systemic problem how many problems that we have were the same things and then we can we can um, basically prioritize um, the, the problems themselves and, and drive at uh, remediation and raise it up to leadership. We've had seven problems and, and they have a RPN, risk prioritization number of 600. So this is a large impact to Microsoft. So Sounds like a, a great step forward.
So we have another question here, and it's kind of around the uh, service availability SLAs. So how can we monitor SLA service availability for Skype for Business Server on a day-to-day -day basis, as this consists of a whole lot of modules, servers, databases, URLs, services? So uh, we've been asked here, what's the best tool? I don't know that we can tell you what the best tool is, but what do we use? Right. Um, I can. I can start. I know, Jonathan, you'll be able to help. So we use third-party tools for, well, we, we, met, we monitor um, availability and reliability, right? So uh, on the server side, um, there is a uh, in-house tool called Geneva that fires off alerts based on key health indicators. And, and so we have that to help us with availability. But the real-time collaboration space depends on reliability. Our servers can have uptime, but if I'm still not able to host my meeting, my global meeting, that's a reliability challenge. And we use a third-party uh, tool called PowerMon um, that uh, basically does um, real-time transactions. It's, it's not just synthetic transactions. It's actually calling between data centers and setting up meetings and going through the, the full um, process of uh, making sure that, um, that voice calls are happening correctly, that meetings are being set up uh, correctly and things of that nature in it. And it alerts us, um, you know, real time if, if say there are five failures with a scenario. Yeah, and there, there's no one, one best tool. Yeah. Uh, it, there just isn't. So we, have, we use a, you know, a, a variety of different tools. Like Dwight said, PowerMon is a really great tool. It's a, a tool we uh, partnered on with uh, Unify Square, which is a very close partner of ours. And like you said, it, it makes actual calls. It's not just synthetic transactions. It's not server up, server down. It's actually, can you, is the call completing successfully? We use SCOM, you know, because we also have to monitor at the server level if the servers are healthy. Um, so we, you know, we use a whole variety of different um, tools to make sure that we're understanding, because we want we look at SLAs not from server up, server down. We look at them from is the user able to do what they need to do, and are they having a good experience? Um, we also use uh, some some tools. Call Call Quality Dashboard is mm -hmm. another tool that we use. Uh, it's more after the fact. It's not really real time at this point, uh, but we're getting to the point where we're trying to make it a little bit more predictive. So um, Call Quality Dashboard is a great thing to look into if you're not using it currently. It's, uh, Dwight's, you know, Dwight and I and, and, and Frank and, and uh, KC, it's taken us a huge step forward to being able to really understand what is happening in this environment, what kind of experience are my users having? Because at the end of the day, I care more about that than server up, server down. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Of course the server up, server down is important, but, mm -hmm. but it's really, I, I want to understand it more deeply. Not a lot worse when the server's down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just because the server's up. But just because it's up doesn't mean they're anything. having a good experience. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the only last thing we'll say is that call quality dashboard, that is a part of the product and it comes yes. with, you know, so there's, there's not third party, but if you are looking for that end to end experience that, you know, is measuring, you know, uh, client to client, client to server, and it does give you uh, some of the, the, the metrics that you need to measure. We yeah. used to measure buildings all the way down to the call level. And we can break it out via wireless versus wired. Mm -hmm. There's a, it's a, just a, such a valuable tool. And like, like Dwight said, I'm glad you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. It is actually built into the base product, so mm -hmm. it's not a third party. Yeah. Great. Another Teams question. So mm -hmm. uh, how are we using Teams? And does Teams displace Yammer or even email? That's probably oh, yeah, that, that is a good question. <laughs> uh, and I've heard before. Um, 
Is that how we use Teams? Is that the uh, so how are we using how are teams? we using yeah so in our environment as Jonathan was saying we've we've uh, added teams into the mix of collaboration solutions that we have available uh, so you know initially it's you know, viewed side by side with many of these capabilities which which actually has driven that question to us so um, but we're I'm quite convinced. In fact, I used to be a, a service manager for our Yammer product uh, and. Where that product has really uh, shown its, its, its value for us internally has been around the community. And so uh, Yammer is great for reaching out to a broad community when you don't even know who your audience is or who it is you're trying to reach, you know, you're casting a broad net. That's something that Teams isn't particularly targeting. Uh, you know, Teams we think of as something that uh, really excels when you've got a, a small, uh, not smaller focused a uh, group of people who are, have a you know a common goal um, and are, are working to deliver uh, deliver against right. that goal, uh, and so Yammer again is more community community support you know where you're building sort of a knowledge base that needs to be broadly available and you know and it's probably going to differ um, between different teams, so the Microsoft Teams product group uh, they they use much pretty much Teams almost exclusively. Uh, although I don't see Teams replacing email. Um, I really see Teams as being the place where you do all this collaboration and then you finally, you know, something comes out of that and then you still use, we still use email for things like executive communications to say, hey, we've just completed this, uh, this bit of functionality that we're gonna be rolling out to the company. So I don't see it replacing email, although it is hard to get the Teams, the Microsoft Teams guys to answer you in email. They, <laughs> they pretty much, they, they will not answer you in email, they will answer you in Teams, so you have to kind of, you know, you have to kind of look at the team that you're working with. That's and a good point. People are all going to use it differently. You think about that dynamics. Like, you yeah. know, Microsoft being a large organization, we, we have a lot of subcultures, right? So, like the Microsoft Teams organization is yeah. has a big incentive to use uh, yeah. the Teams product. Mm -hmm. Similarly, you have to think about what is the the culture and the nature of the work that a particular team or organization does, mm -hmm. and that's really an important part of determining what's going to work best for that particular audience, right? In some cases, uh, you know, where you need uh, a, a lot of real-time connectivity and a lot of voice communication, Skype, Skype for Business has been the go-to tool for, yep. for uh, communicating. But when we've seen particularly cross-geo, cross-time zone challenges, then we see products that are uh, ace, more asynchronous, like Yammer and Teams mm -hmm. really sh showing their value yep. more. You know, to, to your point, I think what Teams has given us is a great and that takes us leaps and bounds forward because the teams and Skype for business integration is is they interoperate very well and you know the some people reach out to me in Skype for business but then you know teams comes up and, and then I can introduce them to teams right. and so it, it works really well and, and and you know and this is just my exclusive opinion you know, as we've been talking about cloud and mobile first, I think Teams is that really the the, the, the best middleware platform that, that I have, have seen at this point that takes advantage of the, the, the cloud uh, interoperability that built that pulls together a lot of the core O365 functionality within Microsoft and, and allows um, the program manager, project manager, leader, team, whoever driving the team to basically pull together all these different elements really yeah. seamlessly and use them with, 
you know, traditional platforms yeah. and, and third-party yeah. apps, right? That, that I can embed other apps, documents, yep. right yep. directly in the interface is, yep. is, I think, is one of those, those strong points. And, and you just go. It's, it's scary as an IT manager because it's like, you know, what is all the sausage making behind the scenes? And, and, <laughs> and I see a lot of that for Skype for Business, but with Teams, it, it, just, it just works because yeah. it's in the cloud. Yeah, and I, you know, I might use Skype for Business if I need a real quick answer, and I don't, mm -hmm. you know, I don't need to refer back to anything. So, because it isn't, it isn't persistent. So, mm -hmm. hey, you know, how are you coming on that spec? I'll have it done today. Mm -hmm. Done. And some, sometimes yeah. I use Skype for Business for that because it, you know, it's been the platform that, that most people internally have been using mm -hmm. for the past couple of years. Yeah. The other sort of dynamic with, with Teams that I like mm -hmm. sort of extending on what you were saying, Dwight, mm -hmm. is uh, you can have one team that works in a particular mode, you know, very highly communicative, sharing lots of documents, and I can have a completely separate team that's more about looking at data and analytics and, yep. you know, kind of working in a different way, maybe even at a different pace. Yep. And I can still work with both of those teams in right. the same interface, keep right. up to up with both of them, and yet keep them separate and, you know, sorted out exactly. in my brain. So yep. I like that notion of, of being to able to have the, that, that flexibility of these diverse experiences, yeah. but still be able to sort of live, you know, virtually in, yeah. in, one, in place one place where I collaborate. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So it's very much yeah. a case of a and not all. Def definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Uh, a networking question here. So what networking infrastructure issues can cause issues with Skype for Business audio, uh, audio video quality? Oh. I'll take that one. Mm -hmm. uh, anything and everything. Um, <laughs> it, Skype is, is heavily dependent on a lot of different networking and infrastructure pieces. Uh, I kind of jokingly say to customers sometimes that it's Skype for Business is the best tool ever invented to find problems in your network. Because you it's not what it was designed to do, but you will find them. Uh, I mean, it can be a... And a lot of times, we're the canary in the coal mine when it comes to Skype for Business. Um, it could be a DNS issue going on in the environment. It'll get reported as a Skype issue, even though that has nothing to do with Skype. Um, or there could be a fiber cut at one of our field offices. Once again, it'll, hey, Skype stopped working. What's going on? It's not Skype. It's actually a fiber cut. So, I mean, you know, pretty much anything and everything in your network and in your infrastructure can potentially impact your quality and uh, reliability. Skype. That's uh, that's kind of the nature of that. Real-time communication is is just vastly different. You know, if you have if you have dropped packets and you're sending an email or a, a document, it'll very elegantly recover from that. And you won't even notice. But if you have dropped packets during a call, or if you're on a conference uh, meeting, you will notice it if you drop packets or if there's latency in your network. Don't, and don't that's we just have the like a network uh, tagging or what's it called? Uh, Optimization, quality, yes, yeah. We do, we do use, and uh, and Quas is something that's very, very important. Um, a few years ago, when it was in the link days, we actually saw our poor call quality spike, and we, you know, got this war team together with the product group and my team and and a whole bunch of us trying to figure out what was happening. And one of the big, it wasn't necessarily the smoking gun, but it was it was primarily because um, we had Quas enabled on all of our devices across the entire um, uh, you know, entire uh, infrastructure. However, over time, you can have something called configuration drift. So we did a, an investigation on this, this poor engineer. I had to have him go out and touch basically every Cisco device in our environment. And what he found was that over time, some of the quad settings had either changed or had been wiped out, probably doing, during patching or something like that. And that had caused the call, the call quality to, to uh, be impacted. Um, we now have actually a tool called HPNA that actually allows us 
to uh, monitor that instead of having some poor engineer have to go out and touch you know hundreds and hundreds of devices. Um, but HPNA is great. It's, it's a little templatized approach. It says, here's a known good configuration for Cisco model XYZ, and it just goes out and compares to what the configuration is on each of the devices every day, and tells us if any have fallen outside of the known good configuration. So that's that's taken us a huge step forward. Absolutely. Uh, I'll add one thing to that, and and maybe Daniel, we can reference the the SME discussion that we had because when we talked, we went a, a little bit further in, in terms of breaking down um, what the end, end service management was from networking based on what was happening in the data center to what's happening into your buildings to what's happening um, with that client. So, you know, you want to make sure that you're connecting, that your connectivity from an access layer, the Wi-Fi infrastructure is in place. You want to make sure that your WAN is healthy and then your edge and core is healthy. And so maybe we can provide in the link yeah. that um, reference to, to that talk where we go through each of those pieces and say, and, and, and we build on what, you're talk, what you mentioned, uh, the, the quad settings, and, and, but we, we also talk about what's happening at the edge core access and uh, layers as yeah. well. And the quad, the quad setting that we do use is DSCP marking 46, which is expedited forwarding strictly for voice. Um, we've started looking at uh, maybe, maybe one that's not quite as uh, expedited, you know, it's, it's a little bit down from expedited forwarding for video because video is now starting to, we're seeing an uptick in video. So, but if for those who are interested, that is the DSCP marking that we use for quads. Yeah, addition to quad setting also, we, we, with the tools that we have, we can find out what kind of driver that your network driver is Absolutely. being used. And even though cost setting everything is okay, if you have a, like this, like plug in a, a yep. network driver, yep. it will cause. And that's that's an excellent point. Yep, um, right. And that's where the, the call quality dashboard can come yep. in. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna use another example, real world right. example. Uh, in New York, uh, when the Surface Pro 3s were first rolled out, um, we started getting reports from our New York office that was that they were saying their call quality was not good. And we were scratching our heads because it was a fairly new office. And it came down to the fact that there were some uh, older bad drivers on the Surface Pro 3s. Um, and, you know, it took us, how long do I have? About eight months yeah, to took, figure well, that out? Well, it took us about, about three or four months to, to get down to the, the, the root cause of that. Now we can do it with call quality dashboard. We could get there in a day, a in day. a couple hours. Mm -hmm. We could actually get to the same level that it took yeah. us three to four months to get to, yeah. uh, to find out that it was a bad Marvell driver. But out of that, not not just the driver, we changed our policy, sta policy standard because we were using um, 802.11n. We moved to AC yeah. and mm -hmm. then the five gigahertz radio, which we've determined that will give you at that uniform Wi-Fi access the yep. a better experience. And once again, we mm -hmm. can pull that information from call quality dashboard. Mm -hmm. We can actually go to a specific site mm -hmm. and it'll show me how many people are still using 802.11n for some reason, even though AC has been rolled out. And, and I will say AC has been a huge improvement for us for call quality over wireless. Um, you know, we can also get to the fact where we know that uh, if, if people are transmitting uh, over 5.0 gigahertz, uh, instead of lower, then we know they're going to have a better experience. So if we still see a bunch of users still uh, using lower um, gigahertz, then we know they're going to be having problems. Once again, we can look at their devices as well. If we know, if we have known bad devices, I can say, hey, why are, the, why are all these people using this known bad device? And we can reach out and, uh, and course correct. 
I would imagine the relationship that you guys have with the networking teams yeah. and with the, the people who run the DNS servers would be uh, would be a pretty close one. Yeah, we used to be under the same organization. Mm -hmm. At one point, uh, we were under the same GM, general manager, and th there was a lot of pros about that because we were one big happy family. And then they came along and they broke us out, but we still have to maintain that incredibly close uh, relationship with the networking folks, mm -hmm. with the product groups, mm -hmm. and uh, with all the all the you know supporting people that support our, our services. Yeah. And, they, and we provide like Wi-Fi on our connected buses and things like that here. So you Absolutely. guys must have some, some very interesting scenarios to, uh, to, to keep operational. Yeah, and, and the, the mobile scenario is also a real challenging yeah. one on people on their mobile yeah. phones. When, when they want that to act just like they, yeah. are, they are in their office. Yeah, when we moved to BYOD, when, you know, the, the formerly IT just, you connected one device wired, but then, you know, everyone's bringing three, four devices and connecting to that Wi-Fi infrastructure you know, it just put a tremendous strain in, in, on, on that infrastructure. But to that partnership, um, we've been working, you know, we have OLAs set up with our key stakeholders. Networking team is one where um, they've partnered with us. The It was the Skype for Business Get to Green effort. They were a key contributor in terms of, of making a lot of improvements to make our end user experience better. So we rely on them heavily. And we're a, we're a heavily mobile workforce here at Microsoft, so that's been a, a huge focus for us because our users, especially the sales, you know, Dwight and I went out and visited a bunch of our sites last year and mostly talked to a lot of salespeople, and they absolutely live and die on their mobile device. So uh, it came very, very clear that that's an area we really needed to focus in on, have a great experience. Great conversation. Um, Moving back to problem management, um, what's a recent problem that you've encountered and how are you eliminating it? Just one. Just one. And really, to, to, to your point, Jonathan, we, we just did the, the North America OEM Roadshow where we go out and we visit uh, IT managers um, in region because you know we have telemetry and we have sentiment data, but you know, if you have a global product, you have to get out to those end users. That's actually how we found out about Slack Compete and, and our own sales folks it was telling us about these things that are coming up and disrupting us. And now we have teams and, and but we just had a recent one where um, we, we conducted a focus group at our San Francisco office. And, you know, in this era of BYOD and the Internet of Things, um, we were not sensitive to our Mac users in the environment. And so there um, were Mac users and LinkedIn, everyone there is a, a Mac user. That's have, about 6,000 Mac, Mac users. They're, oh my God. They're 6,000 Macs. We have uh, our Yammer teams. They and a lot of people bringing Macs into the environment and they were trying to run Skype for Business for Macs. Well, we didn't even have support in place to support Macs. And so Jonathan took lead on onboarding uh, support. Um, we had Mac users that were running legacy link clients instead of the Skype for Business clients. So we have um, really um, reached out to them to solve hardware, uh, software, and support and manageability issues that they were having 
and um, we have seen a su significant improvement of just um, you know onboarding them to support processes there's more long-term work that needs to be done to manage that but that's kind of a you know in this BYOD environment and we're saying cloud mobile for first we have to even though we are Microsoft and that's Apple or you know or whatever we have to be sensitive of our users are using everything here in our environment and we have to support their, their experiences uh, and that was huge. I think it was helpful for teams as well as Skype for Business. Yeah, that was, and that was that was one of the that was a really great effort. A recent, and that's one of the recent big problems that we tackled that Dwight's team tackled. But it, it's a real indicator that in the in in past history, um, we probably wouldn't have been that sensitive to Mac users because mm -hmm. we didn't feel like people should be using Macs. But I think we've really shifted our. Uh, our mindset that mm -hmm. people are going to use Macs yeah. and we I want them to have yeah. a great experience yeah. with Office on the Mac. I mean, we yeah. write software for the Mac. Yeah. Um, we, we write, you know, tools for the Mac. Yeah. So it's, it's become a huge shift uh, in, internally as to, you know, you don't, you know, you're not being just, you know, really frowned upon if you're not using a Windows device because that our users are going to work the way they need to work. And yeah. I like how we as an organization have, have pivoted around looking at yeah. what's going to make people successful, what's going to exactly. make them able to work together and collaborate. And yeah, yeah we, we were right, we had to get over it and get beyond yeah. uh, supporting what we were traditionally comfortable with yeah. to support whatever people happen to, to be carrying around. Absolutely. And the companies that we work with, you know, the, there's no law that says that every company that we're working with is going to be using a Windows device. So our ability and some more wins that came out of this is that we gave our Mac users uh, core services engineering, you know, formerly IT approved headsets and devices that are going to improve their experience. We have conference rooms now that are going to support um, the Mac devices and we're piloting Apple TV and um, the USB-C connectors and and so there's a lot of key learnings that we got from just looking, <clears throat> taking that deeper dive into this problem, but making sure that our end users have the best experience possible so they can, they can be productive here, right? Mm -hmm. And hopefully not just here, but you know, everywhere yeah, we find yeah. our customers, so, there's, there's a benefit to the, to the problem that was just our own to begin with. Great point, because we had to engage the product group and, and they made key updates into the uh, Skype for Business, Mac client, some of the team onboarding for, for Macs because of the findings here. Everything that we do here is not just to operationalize, but it's also to make sure that our products are better because if we experience the problems, then we know our, our customers are going to experience the same problems. And so we are driving that. And, and that's only been three months that we have taken these steps to make improvements in, this, in the, the Mac client, in Mac mm -hmm. experience. So yeah. that's already out there and available to our, our customers. Yeah, so. and, I, and I like the comment Frank made. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in the, I've been here for a long time. So mm -hmm. uh, in the past, we had what I used to call Microsoft secret sauce. And we would do these things to make our stuff work better together, but we never provided them to our customers. So our mantra now, and this is my heavy mantra, is if you're working on something that's not also going to benefit customers, you're not working on the right thing. So that's been another uh, mind shift mm -hmm. internally. Yeah, it's very much, I mean, I'm a bit of an old timer like you, Jonathan, as well, and you know, and the, the days gone past, it's like, it's Microsoft all the way. The, the amount of uh, yeah. you know, 
third-party products and devices and, and things that we're using now is, uh, is refreshing. And they've come to Microsoft and say, make it work yeah, somehow. Yeah, sort of, well, <laughs> like, I've been using this for the past three months. Yeah. <laughs> Help me make it better. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's see if we get another couple of questions in here. Um, how do we investigate and prevent spoofed calls? So we are lately we are getting a lot of calls personally in my even uh, my uh, phone, regular phones. My I get them on my uh, text messages on my phone and you have to fix that too. <laughs> so it is really for like uh, old PS10 calls from your, your uh, cell phones and those things, it's really easy to spoof your phone because all technology has only two things that most important, from numbers and two numbers. That's all it cares. And it's easy to change the from numbers. That's where your calling number comes in. It's, there's a lot of apps in like uh, your phones. You can change the numbers. So potentially, I can put your cell phone number, as put it over there and call anybody else. It will show as you're calling them. So it's hard. For, for now, there's no solution for that. Okay. No solution for that. Government is trying to work on it, but still, since it's technology is based on old, tech, old ones, there's no real feasible solution out there. So for now, what we are doing is security group is like asking a lot of, uh, a lot of people are getting that annoyed calls, yeah. and they are asking us to like block the calls. If, if it is, first thing we do is we look at that uh, phone number and then we go to like third party website, like 1-800 notes, and we can find out whether it's uh, same number is calling other customers, mm -hmm. okay? And if you have that database that says, yeah, this is uh, being used by uh, spammers, then we can put the blocks on our SVC or gateways. Mm -hmm. We can do that, but if it is being spoofed, and usually they have programmed to like rotate the numbers. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of numbers out there. Yeah, and not only that, lately we are seeing some people are using Microsoft number to spoof the code. So uh, yeah. there's no way to To proactively it. do it, so no. you just have to react and, and, mm -hmm. um, and do some investigation. Yeah, and then, and then user education is like, if you are getting code from like, especially nowadays, you are getting same, your same area code and same, same uh, numbers close to your uh, real phone numbers, yeah. and it is well known. So if you get a call, don't let them go to voicemail. That's the only solution that we are providing to them. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, next question, uh, looks like some Teams question. Um, so we've got a customer that's worried about Teams sprawl. Uh, so how do we manage it when everyone can create a team or channels within yeah. a team? I remember we, yeah. this sounds reminiscent right. of the problem with public folders uh, back in I, the yes. early days of exchange. Yes, well fortunately we've got uh, a couple of approaches there and it does depend a little bit on, on your culture, the culture in your organization. So we within Microsoft have a very sort of open and empowering stance yeah. uh, and so we let any uh, person, uh, any employee create uh, a team so they can collaborate and get going whenever they don't need to ask uh, the IT or any, get any special permission to do so. Uh, so that's kind of our philosophy. Right. Uh, and then to manage the, the sprawl that we might see from that, like so I've created, uh, I test out what, it, you know, what it's like, so I have you know, more teams than I need, but I do know that after about six months, we've got a process in place now that's gonna 
expire those teams. I'm going to get prompted and say, hey, if you're not using this particular team, you, uh, it's going to be deleted. Yeah, Unless yeah. you renew it, yeah, it's, renew it's it. going away. So that okay. helps us to you know, reduce the number of teams, particularly a lot of these things that people get created and then forget about or mm -hmm. move on to another one. And it's, it's the same approach that we've used in SharePoint. Mm -hmm. uh, it gets down to governance. So in SharePoint, we do sort of the same thing. Uh, they expire after a year, and we also require the two owners for every site that's created, although we do let our users create their own SharePoint sites, just like Teams. Um, but uh, one has to be an FTE, and, uh, and then we also expire them after a year. So that's the sort of same approach I think we're, we're looking at taking with Teams. Um, there is a capability uh, in Teams that allows you to restrict that. So for a culture that wants to you know, have a little tighter control or, or put some management in front of the creation of, of their teams and their organization, yeah. uh, they can, can constrain the people uh, who can create new teams uh, to a specific security group. So yeah. we've done that yeah. uh, at times ourselves and we've seen that from other customers as well. Absolutely. Okay, and, and in that case, uh, they would have like a central location or something that, that creates the... Uh yeah, you'd have to go through your IT department or that's something like that. Something that uh, did you, did, probably did, wouldn't get down very well here at Microsoft. Uh, now, did no. you really say public folders? Wow. <laughs> public that's folders blast from the past. public folders. Um, another question here. looks like we have for Jonathan around business continuity and disaster recovery. Um, how does that differ between the on-prem and cloud deployments? That's like night and day. Uh, in the cloud, I don't have to worry about it. Uh, basically, it's done for me by the product group. Um, in the past, on-prem, we would have these huge projects we'd spin up. We call it uh, ABCM, Enterprise Business Continuity Management. I actually did it for Link uh, at the time, and that's when we were heavily on-prem. And we had a whole group of people, and we created these docs, these ABCM documents that said, you know, here's the call-down list. If we do have a, you know, a major, major issue um, that requires business continuity, uh, we would practice. I remember we went to, we would, I'll get into a conference room after all my documentation was done and there was a panel of people that were watching and we would actually practice, uh, we would have a scenario. Uh, the one scenario was one of our data centers was on fire. And so I had to fail at least one or two users from that data center over to, uh, if I'm gonna use Tequila as example, over to our Quincy data center. And we spun up, we spent all these resources and all this money doing that for something we hoped we'd never have to use. I remember the second one was kind of fun. It was there was a uh, uh, um, zombie apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> that was our disaster we had to recover from. Now, but, but this is one of the big value props in my mind, and, and this is the same for me even internally at Microsoft. When you move to the cloud, it's all done for you. You, don't, you actually don't have to do that. I don't spend very much time at all thinking about uh, failing over in business continuity management because now it's all just magically taken care of for me in the cloud. And that, once again, this is where I can actually take my people and uh, stop focusing on these kinds of things and start focusing more on strategic value that they can add. Great. Great. Well, that's kind of dried us up from questions, so uh, so we've done well. Um, we're uh, almost at the end of our hour as well, um, but what I'd like to get is uh, just maybe a, a closing thought from our SMEs here, uh, perhaps a, a key takeaway that you'd like to share with our audience. So uh, we're going to start with you, Jonathan, anyway. Okay, and I'm going to kind of build on what the comment I just made. Uh, Moving to the cloud, and this is why we're so heavily focused on that, I mean, we're laser focused on that as a company. Um, I get a lot of questions, because I do meet with CIOs and their, and their teams, and the questions that I do get are, how is it different uh, managing an IT department, or what's, what does the IT department do differently when you're in the cloud versus on-prem? Uh, on-prem, you're doing things like you're, you're block and tackling, you're 
chasing after issues, you're patching servers, and you're doing all this tactical work. Um, you move to the cloud, that all goes away. And I can actually reskill and repurpose my IT department to actually be more strategically focused, to actually embed themselves more with the user groups that we have here at, you know, at Microsoft and really understand how do you do your business? What do you need to most effectively do that business? And now we can actually do that stuff. That's stuff we always wanted to do, but we were so busy running around patching and, and all this other tactical stuff, we didn't have the time to do it. So this is one of the reasons, one of the big value propositions for me uh, you know, as far as going to the cloud. I, my teams are a lot more strategically focused now, and that's been a huge advantage. Frank, what about you? Well, key with, with that strategic focus, uh, we're now able to ap apply those energies to how are we going to make our, our individuals and teams succeed? And I think as, as I've gone through a lot of the change management uh, processing questions as we're introducing Microsoft Teams in our environment, uh, it's been clear that we need definitely to think about the strategy of how we're going to land this change with, with capabilities and how they're going to you know, change and be introduced in our environments and right. our users over time. So we certainly need that high-level strategy, including what communications and training and readiness are needed. But the other thing, and, and this is the, the thing that's easy to overlook, is to make sure that as a team uh, gets active and onboards and begins using Teams, that they have their own you know, specific strategy for how they're going to communicate, what they're going to store where, when is it appropriate to use this channel, or when is it appropriate to use chat, right. so that uh, people can be effective and then they can build on and, and uh, you know, help one another and be uh, you know, efficient and learning uh, very quickly. Great. Casey, how about you? Yeah, last week, Enterprise Connect uh, had great presentation regarding how the Teams and the Skype business is going to be used. And this great presentation after the, I think his name is Kevin Kylo or Kevin Giller. And it's like 30 or 40 minutes uh, presentation. It gives you like insight on like how the migration should be working for other people. Okay, and that's up online. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm so gonna, we'll, we'll grab we'll the, the link for that yeah. and we'll include yeah. it in, yeah. the, uh, in, the, in the notes. I'd like to see that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. Terrific. Dwight, yeah. okay. how about you? Um, my biggest takeaway is that traditional IT has to transform, right? Um, at Microsoft, we're, we're no longer Microsoft IT. We're core service engineering and operations, right? So uh, we're transforming our business processes, and we have to to be faster and, and, and be able to keep pace with the DevOps model, the faster release process cycles, because they're not just impacting us internally at Microsoft. The faster releases are happening on a global scale as we release our external customers uh, receive that. So we're gonna have to transform as um, IT or in, uh, to more of an engineering, um, op, um, uh, an, an engineering shop that is able to look at the the formal service management functions and the idle based and idle foundations based um, content for how we manage our operations change incident and problem management but we're going to need to layer on top of that and I, I think a lot of us went to um, product owner training right so you know how do we um, you know, stand up our traditional engineering teams into these uh, dev teams or feature crews to to take in the influx of problems that are coming in and be able to rapidly respond to 
a faster pace and also being able to reach out broader and establish relationships with all of your customers and end users and stakeholders so that you can um, transform your processes and be able to uh, keep pace with the speed of change that is affecting all of us. Right? Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, uh, I'm going I'm to use an over, there's an overworn term that I'm going to use anyway, but agile. Uh, mm -hmm. It's way overused, but it is how our product groups are working now. And like Dwight said, uh, I'm an old I'm an old school IT guy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it was really hard for me to wrap my mind around the yeah. fact that it used to be we had these three-year dev cycles for a new version of, let's say, Office. So then you'd ramp up, and then you'd release it, and you know people would start using it. And now it's a, it's a weekly, sometimes daily occurrence as we're getting fixes and patches, and sometimes new functionality coming out like that. Because, and because we're those early adopters. We're the early yeah, adopters, and, and yeah. but, but it doesn't stay with us that long, because we yeah. always have been early adopters, but it now it could be like, okay, this is going to customers next week. You guys get it this week. And so it's really, it was hard for me to wrap my mind around it, but it's a real fun and dynamic environment to work in, but it's very, very different than the old yeah. the old days. And it's and right now, they, they don't mix totally the traditional ways and the, the agile ways, but finding the balance to where traditional problem incident change management can support um, the, the agile DevOps model. And we have this modern engineering story that, that, that covers all of that. And I think the, the, the um, link that we're gonna provide will we'll go a little bit deeper in that. But uh, that, that really is, is where we are in terms of uh, being able to hold the, key, the teams, be able to respond to when feature crews make changes in our environment, rapidly detect and raise those as, pro as problems, but then work those back and hold those teams accountable. You know, we have to do that at a, a faster pace um, for our, our end users and our customers. Great. Well, look, some great insights there, some great mm -hmm. key takeaways. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, thank you for taking time out of your day as well to join us here and, and share our expertise. I know you have, uh, you have day jobs and you'll be getting back to those uh, very shortly. But I'd also like to thank you, our audience, for joining us today. I hope you found this session valuable and, and some, uh, some good takeaways from it. Uh, the on-demand version of this session will be posted to our website, microsoft.com slash IT showcase very soon. You can also find other information up there, other IT showcase content like business case studies, productivity guides, technical case studies, and information about upcoming webinars and shows that you'll see on microsoft.com slash IT showcase. So take a look up there and see what you can find. Uh, please join us for future webinars. Bring your colleagues along too. We'd love to have them join us. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you.